Hey everyone, welcome to B2B Made Simple. I'm Sam Moss, the CEO and co-founder of OneClick Agency. On this show, I interview marketing experts from fast-growing B2B SaaS companies. We feature podcast episodes I'm a guest on, and sometimes we throw in a consulting call I've done with another company. Our goal with this show is to equip you and give you the tools you need to be the best marketer you can be. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of B2B Made Simple. Joining me on the reunion tour, I have Mark Bliss, who is coming back for round two. Mark, welcome to the show, man. It's really good to be back. Uh, round two, round two. We're going to be uh, a little more uh, focused on this one, right? We're not going to digress as much as we did in round one. <laughs> Wife's computer oh, next to me. Yeah. All good. There we go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're going to have to edit that out. Uh, no, we'll leave it. <laughs> People like to know we're real, right? Yeah, yeah. This is live, you know. Our, our, and we did not shut off our phones before this, so we are just playing roulette. That's right. You know what it is? Is I always check to make sure all my notifications are off, but my wife's laptop is literally sitting next to my desk, and it's linked to her phone. And of course, she has to have her volume all the way up twenty four seven. So here we are. But you know, it happens. It happens. <laughs> you know, if you don't have your volume up, I mean, I, I don't think you can listen to music. So that's right. That's very there, true. There is that. <laughs> yeah, I was having a, uh, I mean, I guess we're going to digress because we were having a, a long discussion of what the song for the summer is this year. Mm-hmm. And I believe that Stranger Things has made it uh, uh, running up that hill. Hey, I, I, I think, I think you've got a, a 40 year old song as the song of the summer this year. I think you very well, very well, maybe right about that. Um, you know, so here's my opening question to you is if you had to choose between watching a movie or sitting down and watching a TV show, what would you choose? Have to be a TV show. Um, yeah, a TV show is basically like a six to 10 hour movie. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I I've had a lot of time recently, uh, you know, being sick with COVID. Uh, so uh, it's one of those things where if I watch a movie, I got to queue up another movie and then yeah. I have <laughs> I have that decision-making fatigue of t- trying to find what the next movie is. Yeah. Uh, unless it's a Marvel movie, then I've got like 40 additional ones in the you queue. You have plenty to choose from. <laughs> exactly. But if it's any other movie, then it's like, okay, well, I have to make a decision now. Uh, you know, do I stay in the same genre? Do I find another one? If I choose a TV show, I can just watch every next episode mm-hmm. and lose, you know, eight hours of my life in, in an instant. Uh, so I'd, I'd probably go with TV show on uh, when I have time, uh, a movie if I don't have time. I love it. So if you're listening to this, Mark obviously is back for round two. He was on episode 126. So quite a while ago, almost 100 episodes by the time this drops, uh, which is pretty wild. So Awesome to have you back. Um, I, th- I believe last time we talked about, wasn't it sales versus marketing or getting rid of the silos, right? So if someone wants to go listen to that, definitely check it out. Um, but today we have a new topic, which is managing and hiring a 100% remote team. Obviously, this is where we're at in 2022. Um, I'm excited to dive into this. And my opening question for you is, you know, what are the differences between simply a remote company and a remote first? Before talking to you, I didn't even know there was a difference. So I'm curious to hear what you your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I, I think uh, a lot of companies have always had positions that had worked remote. Mm-hmm. And then when the pandemic happened, every position was suddenly remote. 
but a, a lot of those companies were effectively forced to have remote positions. Uh, either the leadership didn't like it or they weren't really set up for it. And so they never created the, the process, the tech stack, and really just the strategy around it because they always assumed that they'd come back. And those are all the announcements you see, you know, hybrid, hybrid work environments to me, for the most part, when you're talking about work that can be done remotely, yeah, so they're having to come back into the office for two days or, or, or you know, three members of, of the same team are working in the office, whereas three are from home. To me, that's just an indecisive company. Mm-hmm. They don't want to they don't want to create a strategy. Yeah. Uh, and so a remote first company, you know, when you're remote first and, and I'm, I'm at my second remote first company in a row now. And when it's remote first, you're building the strategy around having your organization remote. You know, even if you have an office, it's more of an afterthought. You know, you're building, you know, a, a meeting, for example, in a split, you know, kind of half remote or hybrid uh, environment. You might have folks that are in the office in a meeting, and then you have staff on a Zoom in the meeting. Mm-hmm. Which one are you creating the strategy for? Which are you prioritizing? What uh, w- what gets the emphasis? Because if if you've ever been on a meeting with a bunch of people in a meeting room and you're sitting on a Zoom, it's very difficult to interject. Yeah, there's always you know, a delay. Not, there's all kinds of stuff. Exactly, and you're not a part of that meeting. And so, you know, a remote first company is designing and saying our meetings are going to be virtual. How do we best enable our staff to make, take advantage of those? Uh, you're also hiring very different people. Uh, you're creating a very different tech stack. Your collaboration process is very different. Uh, but it's really just, you know, when you say remote first, it's did they put that stake in the ground and say, we are a remote first company. We are hiring people that want to work 100% remote. And we are structuring and enabling them in that way, in that strategy. Uh, and so there are remote companies that don't have that, that is not their focus. Uh, You probably won't see that as a consistent topic on their leadership meetings, uh, and it probably won't come up in a board meeting. And then you have your hybrid companies, uh, and then you you have your your companies that were remote, but now we get to see that they really never wanted to be. And so they're they're 100% in the office. Yeah, I get it. What do you think for morale? Because I've seen some companies do remote first and absolutely kill it, right? They have teams that are flourishing. They seem like they're in the office when it comes to camaraderie. Um, What do you think, like, what are some ways that you help your team feel like a team when they're behind a screen the entire time? Well, I mean, part of that is how, how you structure your meetings and who you hire, but uh, you know, drilling down into, team offsites is I think probably the, the best place to start because everybody's like, it's an in thing now. Uh, you know, I can't open LinkedIn without seeing uh, somebody <laughs> I know that, that they yeah. just did this, this offsite. And I think it's about getting that right first and foremost, because if you only get a few chances a year to see your team in person mm-hmm. uh, and maybe only one chance a year, depending on the size of your company and the budget that you've put in place for this, you need to make sure you do it right. 
So, you know, that's probably the first place to start is, is the right way to do team offsites. What would you say is the right way to do it? Well, first, I think you have to take your team somewhere cool. Yeah, that's ideally, a good start. <laughs> ideally, somewhere that the majority of them haven't been to. You know, whether you do a poll, whether you just pick pick a uh, location that the team, uh, you know, either is expressing interest in or that it's a brand new place for them to travel to, that it really helps because you're now reducing a lot of the awkwardness that you would have when you're meeting people sometimes for the first time in person, mm -hmm. uh, because now everybody's in a new place for the first time. Uh, it's an immediate shared experience that everybody has. And the excitement about going to that place will help overcome any nerves or anxiety that's in place for, you know, meeting people for the first time. That's a good way to look at it. Yeah. You know, a lot of people, if they still have an office and, and, and many companies don't now, you know, they've got like a, a, a mailing address basically, but if you still have an office, people are doing the, the offsite and they're bringing people into the office. Mm -hmm. That's and, not what you're talking about here. <laughs> no, 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 no. That is, that is not an offsite. That is, uh, that is a zoom meeting in person. Uh, don't, don't do that. Uh, also don't try to maximize your time by shutting everybody up in a conference room all day, only letting them out to eat. Uh, that's not the right way. Uh, you, you do need to have those face-to-face -face meetings. It's great for collaboration, especially if you're doing any type of strategic planning, but limit that to only like four hours a day, mm -hmm. spend the rest of your time doing activities together and building relationships and connection. Uh, and don't do the standard activities either. I mean, I love an escape room or, or bowling as is, is much as like the next person, but do some fun things that are very specific to where you went. Uh, my team and I, we just did a, uh, an offsite in, in NOLA. Uh, and the highlight of the trip for most of the team was a ghost and voodoo tour. <laughs> that we did after dark that was that was a really fun thing it was unique it was uh very specific to new orleans and we also did this really super weird uh photo shoot uh in the french quarter where you know we uh, hired this photographer giving us a tour around the french quarter and then taking what i would call kind of like hilarious prom shots um yeah, I'm, I'm in a photo. I, I, I swear it looks like an old uh, uh, 90s boy band album cover. Uh, absolutely. But it's that it's that type of thing. Like it's it's unique. It's about the city. It's it's something we all have a shared experience and we can laugh about. Mm -hmm. uh, and yes, we did some great strategic planning. Absolutely. But we didn't focus on that. And I think that's where if you do a team offsite right, ensuring that you have those experiences, those shared experiences is critical. Uh, I would also say the caveat and probably the thing I'm still learning too, uh, you also don't want to overbook the schedule. That's uh, good point. I, I think the, the balance of giving people some solo time away to recharge is important as well. And I haven't found the right number yet. I'm, I'm still experimenting with that myself, um, but making sure that people can come back and relax and recharge. Uh, it's a lot meeting people in person. 
and spending that time together where if you don't give people the chance to break away and relax and recharge, I, I think you're setting yourself up for burnout on days two or three Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. where it's too much and you're on too long. Uh, I mean, any, anybody that's had the, the back to back to back to back to back zoom days, will understand that feeling. Cause like you're on and you're on and you're on and you're on and you get to the end of the night and you're like, where's Fatigue. my beer? Where's yeah. my beer? I'm, I'm just, I'm not moving from this couch. Like, you know, you have that true fatigue in place. Amplify that by a hundred times with a team that's in person for maybe the first time for a good portion of the staff. Yeah. Um, you know, with everybody working remote, one of the toughest things to do is really activating the talent and finding the right talent. Um, what are some ways that you approach that being 100% remote first as a company? Well, I think uh, you, you got to hire great people, uh, first and foremost. Now, the benefit to that is you're hiring remotely, so you can hire them from anywhere. You're not tied to a geographic radius and you don't have to pay relocation fees. Just hire really great people. And when you have really great people, you can set very clear goals. So that way everybody's focused on the results that you want, not when or where or how they get things done. And that's, that's a big difference. And it's a big shift because, you know, when you're working in an office, I mean, I, Oh, I remember back in the day when I would work in an office, uh, yeah, I'd be able to walk past my team. I'd, be able to check in. I'd see what they're working on. We could make adjustments in real time, all of that. You don't get that working remotely, or at least you yeah. probably shouldn't. You need to hire people that are going to come to you when they have questions, but you need them to just get it done on their own terms. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't care if people are working at, you know, seven o'clock in the morning or, you know, and, and, and then they leave at three or, you know, they're, they want to work late. And so the next day they come in early, it really shouldn't matter because when you're working remotely, it's really just about getting that job done. And so yeah, you gotta, you gotta be able to do that. And, and I think hiring great people is where it starts mm -hmm. because you need people that, that have that mindset where they're going to, they're going to get shit done on their own terms and they're going to be comfortable enough to be able to come to you the second that they stall out, mm -hmm. you know, it's a, it's the five minute rule. If you spend five minutes spinning your wheels on something that, you know, another member of your team knows how to do immediately stop and go to them right away. Uh, Cause otherwise you're just wasting a bunch of time and that comfort level to be able to do that, whether it's a peer, whether it's uh, somebody in another function, whether it's your boss, whether it's your boss's boss's boss, that comfort level, being able to do that, uh, that is the critical thing in, in hiring. And so, you know, I always uh, uh, jump in and in, in hiring, trying to identify that in the interview process. Uh, is that something that they are you know, either A, already good at, or B, something that they'd be really capable of in this type of environment? So in the interview process, do you have specific questions that you ask that maybe you didn't realize you should be asking until now you're a remote team, or maybe these have been your secret sauce for years. Uh, can you give us like a look at what that interview interview process and those questions look like? The number one most important question that I ask on every single interview uh, for a remote position 
I always ask them to tell me about a couple of awesome people that they worked with, with the caveat that it cannot be anyone in leadership and it cannot be anyone in their team. So that enables me to know how they work cross-functionally, how they build relationships. Uh, yeah, that'll tell me a lot. I also do a, a lightning round where I'll ask like, I don't know, five to 10 rapid fire questions. So that way I can understand their confidence. Even something as simple as asking what their favorite podcast to listen to is the decisiveness of the answer tells me their level of confidence instead in, of hemming and hawing back and forth for two minutes. That's smart, man. That's a great, exactly. great thing to great way to frame it up. And honestly, when you said like the uh, pick a couple people that are rock stars that, you know, you've worked with, I'm like thinking back to a couple early jobs I had and I'm just like, man, that like gets me thinking like, you know what, I would have been not like stumped on the question, but it really does make you think like outside the box, who are some people that were really good at what they did that weren't exactly on your team. So genius questions on your behalf. Well, and even better, you write those names down. And when you hire them, you wait like two months and you're like, Hey, on the interview, you told me these people were amazing. Should we set up interviews with them? Bring them aboard. Smart. Yeah, absolutely. Cause referrals, are such a lifeblood in a remote first company because everybody already knows the culture. They understand what it takes to work there. Uh, the pros and cons of doing this remotely, the pros and cons of your company culture, and they will understand and know who are the best fits. And so, you know, many, many of the best hires, uh, you know, at DNS filter come from referrals and recommendations uh, from our existing team for that reason. And since you've already asked the question, all you got to do is make sure to write it down. I typically will do like a, uh, a, a calendar event. Uh, if particularly if it's somebody that fits into a role that I know that I will eventually be hiring or mm -hmm. you know, at least the company will cross-functionally, uh, we'll set, we'll set that up. And as it's a nice, it's a nice way to expand the team with folks that, uh, you have an initial foot in the door with and yeah. any referral, any referral or recommendation, uh, I will always take an interview with, uh, so they will always fast track to that interview, uh, just, just to ensure, uh, that, you know, we keep that, uh, keep that flowing. Mm -hmm. Uh, cause the worst thing that can happen is people, people refer or recommend somebody that they know and love, and then it just gets buried and nobody, not even, not even your recruiter reaches yeah, out to them. Yeah. Like that's the worst possible thing. People will just stop recommending. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when it comes to, again, this hiring process, you may have touched on this a little bit previously, but what are some skills that you're looking for specifically? I mean, we're obviously marketers here. You want marketing skills, but is there anything else on top of that? You know, uh, ownership first and foremost, um, I need everyone, regardless of their level in the organization, to uh, make decisions and live with the consequences. Uh, that's even more important when you're fully remote. Um, so that's that's their uh, communication, like we talked about, uh, and creativity. You know, that ability to problem solve and think out of the box uh, is really important. But those three things tie together because if you uh, if you have a great idea, it doesn't mean anything if you don't communicate it. Uh, and taking ownership of that great idea and ensuring that it happens 
and it doesn't just get thrown out and lost in the ether uh, mm -hmm. is also critical. And so I need those three things to be you know, really high, uh, really highly rated skills for the candidates. So that way uh, I can trust that when they come in, they're going to have those great ideas. They're going to bring in all the people that they need to. They're going to communicate any challenges they come across and they're going to own it and work through it. Mm -hmm. uh, because if you if you're missing any one of those pieces uh, in a remote marketing org, damn near impossible, damn near impossible to scale. So I had a, a CMO on this podcast quite a while ago, and she's the CMO of a, a pretty large uh, organization. She had just been brought on for the role. And she said, you know, when building a team, um, if if two thirds of the hires work out, you're doing really well. Do you think that that is you know true in what you found? Or is it like, is that kind of like a harsh number? What are some what is what's been your experience? You know, I think it depends on your org. You know, mm -hmm. if you if you are uh, if you're hiring only six people and two wash out, I don't think that that's really good for your organization. That's true. Very right? true. So yeah, I, I I think it's it depends on the roles. It depends on the scale. I mean, some roles you just have to get right. Mm -hmm. um, now. I'm a firm believer, you know, I, I, I just said it, make a decision and live with the consequences. You know, I, I operate by that as well. You know, so I, I think any, any company that has, you know, a dozen steps in the interview process, it's ridiculous. Uh, there shouldn't be any more than four at most, you know, it, a three is a nice, pretty standard. And then if you need to do some sort of a project or, or something as a fourth step, but I, I think this paralysis like on strategy that people go through i think that's the biggest biggest killer and time suck out there because you're just spinning your wheels you're not making a decision and what is that signal to the person coming in you know if i'm looking for ownership communication and creativity they damn well better see those three things in my interview process from me and yeah, so you yeah. got to you got to embody that you have to be able to communicate with them all all the positives and negatives of the role. Um, I want to share with them creative ideas and things that the team has moved forward on. And I, and I want to show them that I take ownership because I will make a decision mm -hmm. and we're not going to prolong this thing out. Uh, a couple of my hires we hired in uh, a week, week and a half of total time Wow, from yeah from application to hiring. And I'm not saying everybody should make a decision that fast, but I also think if, if they check every box and you, when you know, you know, and there's no benefit to sitting and waiting yeah, at yeah. all. All you're just showing is that you're an indecisive organization. When right in and, your interview, you talk about being decisive and that's one of the things you're looking for. So you guys seem to live it, which is great. Well, if you don't, then you're going to get the wrong people because you're yeah. only going to get people who talk about it. You're not going to get people who do it. I, you know, it's a, it's a balance. An interview process is like, a, it's like a really intricate tango. You know, and I, both have to be on the same page for you to know that it's going to work out. Mm -hmm. And part of that is living up to all the things that you're asking of them and wanting that candidate to be, you got to embody that yourself. Otherwise you're, you're, you're kind of screwed, which is probably what the, the issue is with, uh, with our, our, our good friend, Elon Musk, trying to bring everybody back to the office. And I, I don't think he ever really lived it or embodied it. I think it was yeah. just this, uh, this natural 
uh, progression of the world shift and he didn't want to be outside of that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so bringing everybody back really fits more into uh, a, a, a micromanagement top down approach and style that it seems like he embodies. Mm -hmm. Uh, I also think he just wanted to reduce his workforce because immediately thereafter he announced hiring freezes and layoffs. Uh, And so I think it was just, Hey, everybody that wants to work remote fully, just leave, please. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have to start, you know, have higher numbers of layoffs, but, but yeah, I, I, I think for, I think it's very apparent in an interview process what the org embodies. And even if they're asking questions that are sharing like a different perspective or, or seemingly different, those are the times where you're going to join a company and it's going to not be anything like what you expected. And we've all been there, right? Everybody's been there. They thought they had the right company in the interview process. And then you come in and everything they talked about wasn't real. Uh, And conversely hiring, we've all hired candidates that talked a big game and they didn't quite live up to that. They didn't embody those traits that you thought that you had uh, in the interview process. And so that's why I think it's a delicate tango. I think if both are authentic, I think you're going to absolutely succeed. Uh, We have almost, uh, I I believe a 95% offer acceptance rate at DNS filter. And a lot of that comes in into the fact that, you know, we, we appreciate the, the dance. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, we've, we've set processes in place. Like we have a three interview process. Like that is a part of our process and the time. Not you know, we 10, have, not 12, not three. <laughs> not, that, not 12, three. Yeah, exactly. So we have, we've got these uh, guardrails that are set up and our uh people team does an incredible job of training and empowering managers. Uh, We have uh, frequent training sessions on what we're looking for and how we detail out some of these traits and we ensure that nobody's really going rogue because yes, there are, there are differences with departments. Marketing is a very different organization. They're much more hyper-creative than, you know, some other uh, you know, areas uh, of an organization, particularly those that are uh, product-based like us in cybersecurity, you get a lot of varied personalities. Mm-hmm. But the core traits to be able to work in a remote first environment are the same, no matter what department that you're in. And so making sure that you align there also helps as well, because again, I want referrals and referrals are going to come across the organization so you need to ensure across the board that you're hiring with that same strategy in mind, trying to find people who take ownership, people who do communicate and people who are creative Yeah, yeah at yeah. varying degrees. And it sounds like you guys are absolutely killing it. You're living what you're preaching and uh, it seems like you're reaping the harvest from it for sure. I, I think we're doing a great job of progressively learning as we go uh, because there's no... I mean, there's a bunch of books on this now, uh, but they're all brand new. It's not like I can go to this proven uh, process. You know, none of us can that are remote first. It's a fairly new phenomenon. Uh, some will say it's a fad, and I very much I don't think so. I disagree I, I with those agree. people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think those people are gonna wake up in two years and find that they can't find good talent. Uh, absolutely, uh, but. Yeah, I, 
I think we're all making it up as we go. And anybody that's really curious is listening to podcasts like this, trying to gleam whatever they can from the people who might have been doing it a few years longer than them. But it's all new. And, you know, none of us are experts on this yet. Uh, We are, I would say, advocates. Mm -hmm. You know, it's something that we're pushing towards. We're trying to understand. But just like uh, you know, my, my, my last uh, team offside, I mean, I, I did not give enough refresh time. You know, that is a, that is a lesson learned that I hope the entire audience listening to this podcast uh, will take and put into practice before it's an issue for them. But it's something that I personally felt by the time I got to day three, I was exhausted and worn out. Yeah. So I, I, I mean, I know my team was as well. So it's things like that. We're just, we're all learning as we go. It's brand new. It's something that is not proven. It's not fully tested. I like the direction it's going. I like the early signs. Everything seems incredibly positive. Uh, I've been able to hire people that I never would have been able to hire before. Incredibly talented folks. Uh, and then there's an element of, of diversity, of experiences, and it's just phenomenal to be able to have that. You know, if I can have somebody from New York, somebody from Texas, uh, somebody from the Midwest and somebody from California all on the same meeting. There are intangible benefits to that collaboration that you just simply can't get if yeah. you were hiring all around, uh, you know, one singular area. Like our, our main office, which is basically like a, a mailing address at a WeWork, uh, is in the, the Washington, D.C. area. So you wouldn't get the majority of our talented workforce if we were just hiring around that and then maybe offering relocation money when we were bringing people aboard, you just wouldn't have it. Yeah. And so some, some of that diversity of thought, experience, location, I mean, it's just incredible to see put into action and a lot of it's just intangible, but yeah, that's why I think it's here to stay. Anybody that's lived it will never go back. And that is the problem with all these companies trying to shift to the hybrid environment people that loved working remotely are they not still love it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They still love it. And they, they want to, they want to find the places that are doing it better. Mm-hmm. They, they don't want to go back to the office. They want to find the places that have learned and are continuing to try new things and are adopting the, the right technology and the right process and strategy to ensure that they're bringing, not just bringing the right people aboard, but they're ab- empowering them. You know, like we haven't even talked about, junior hires, you know, the folks in their first like two years of their career, because they're always the ones that get thrown under the bus when you talk about, you know, hundred percent remote work, because it's always, well, you know, then you can't bring on junior hires. You certainly can never bring on interns or anything because, you know, they're never going to be able to learn enough. And that just drives me insane. That's just not true. No, no. And I think you're just devaluing people in, in a way that's unfair to their professional growth and ability. First, if you don't believe somebody that could own their job and work remotely without a ton of micromanagement or interaction, just don't hire them. Please like do everybody a favor and don't hire them. Uh, but if you, if you bring those people on board, you don't have to like micromanage every aspect of their lives in person, staring down at them with, with their cubicle sitting outside of your office. What you do need to do though, 
is to make sure that those people have a comfort level to share their opinions. Mm -hmm. That is the caveat that I will say with junior hires. Uh, they're a lot less comfortable. You know, they haven't, they haven't yet been through this the time and time again, uh, as, as you know, my newly developing gray hairs would uh, start to indicate, uh, you know, they just haven't, they haven't done it. Uh, and so there's a level of, I think, fear and discomfort about sharing ideas or, or sharing dissent, especially uh, with anybody up in the org chart. And so, you know, if you can get early one-on-one -on -one interactions with them at all levels of the organization, you know, they should not just be talking to their direct manager. They should be talking to directors, VPs, SVPs, a member of the C-suite. They should get those face-to-face -face interactions. Uh, if you can do it in person, great. Uh, I've had, I've had multiple employees uh, where, uh, that their first day was actually in person, whether it was at a conference or at a, uh, a team offsite. Uh, and, you know, there are pros and cons to that. Absolutely. Uh, but it's such a huge benefit that their first week, they get to spend time with management and executives in a way that's more flexible and comfortable, mm -hmm. uh, you know, going out and doing sightseeing as opposed to being on a zoom call, presenting a report that they made. Yeah, very, very different process. And so I think if in the first 90 days you get those junior hires or really any hire, because uh, I think this is true regardless of your tenure uh, and in your resume, uh, I, I think just get as many one-on-one -on -one interactions with every level as you possibly can. Mm -hmm. Because that comfort level is huge when it's about remote work. Because yeah, somebody will yeah. sit on something or they'll spend an hour trying to figure out how to write an email about something that they disagree on. And that is the biggest time suck in the world. Yeah. Absolutely. Like I I, I can't I can't tell you enough how, how much it, it frustrates me. Uh, I, I think the problem is that we've got so many organizations that don't, they will say that they want dissent but they do nothing to create the, uh, the relationships and, and eliminate the fear around dissent. And so then that's why you have people spending that much time or they never say anything or they run it to their manager who then runs it to their manager who then runs it to their manager. And now you've just wasted like four people's time when all you needed to do was send a direct message or uh, ask for a 10 minute phone call of the person who makes the decision. Like, I love being told that my ideas are stupid. Absolutely. Uh, it's the only way, uh, the only way that we're going to be able to move forward. Because if, if you're doing this top-down approach, like, like our friend Elon does, uh, eventually you just get a bunch of, uh, a bunch of people saying yes and nodding their heads. And, and the only ideas that are yours, I kind of like the uh, Abraham Lincoln's cabinet approach where he, he, he hired the cabinet of rivals. They were all people who publicly disagreed with him uh, throughout his entire campaign. Uh, three or four of them, I think, specifically did not vote for him. <laughs> and I think that's, that, is the, that is the right way. That is the right approach because you get an instant gut check. It doesn't mean that you don't go with your decision, 
but it does mean that you've got an entire group of people who are comfortably comfortable telling you your idea is stupid and allowing you to reevaluate and reassess uh, before anything goes out. Uh, you know, I, I had a conversation this week with, uh, with a member of my team and it's like, there's a difference between a directive and an idea hmm. when it's a directive, that's something we have to do. Uh, the method to which we do it, uh, that's a little bit open for debate unless that's a part of the directive, but occasionally you'll get something, whether it's from the board, whether it's from the C-suite, whether it's from your manager that just has to be done. Those are directives do those, find a way to put your own flair and in, in creativity in it if you can, but those are directives. 90% of the time, it's not a directive. 90% of the time in marketing, it's an idea. It's the creativity side of things that are coming out as marketers, right? It's what sets us apart, if you ask me. Exactly. And so when you when you throw out that idea in the meeting, hey, you, you want to throw out ideas and, and at all levels, uh, you need to embody that. Again, I said the same exact thing. Whatever you want out of your team, you need to embody yourself. But I think you also you also need to ensure that you're embodying uh, the desire for people to tell you your idea is stupid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's where the back and forth, the healthy communication, the healthy disagreement. I think that you know we can all be people pleasers pretty easily and be yes people and say, you know what, that's a great idea and you know strike each other's ego. But at the end of the day, there's nothing wrong with healthy, structured conflict. And it seems like that's exactly what you guys embody. Yeah, you, you have to do that. And I think you have to make sure that there's a there's a relationship there and a comfort level. Uh, and that's why those one-on-one -on -one sure. interactions sure. are important. Uh, it's part of the reason why every time we do a conference, uh, which conferences always have to be first and foremost about ROI. Like you, you have to bring in business from them. Otherwise, what the hell is your marketing department doing? Uh, but... When you're a remote first company, you have a secondary element, and that's about getting the team to spend time together, being able to craft those interactions. And so every time we do a, a, a conference, we check like a two to three hour radius around wherever that conference is and invite anybody from across the organization to uh, to come to you know whatever the post-show dinner that we're going to do is, uh, especially true when we've got our executives at, at the conferences, uh, or if their manager isn't, is there in person, we want to make sure they'll get there. Sometimes we'll even spend money on flight, uh, to, to be able to get them there. And it's it goes the camaraderie you're talking about, right? Exactly. There's, there's a shift that happens in your, your, your head when you have, you know, you, you have a dinner across from your CEO yeah. and you're, you're just, you know, it's not even small talk. It's real talk, understanding, you know, these, you know, everybody as a person, as a human being. And so then when you, when you have that disagreement or you want to share something, uh, a new idea, it's not as scary anymore. And this specifically goes even to junior hires. Like I, I will, I will ensure that we bring some of my, my, you know, less experienced marketing staff to trade shows for some of that reason. Uh, you know, it's, it's about building those relationships. And I would also say having anyone in a marketing team working the booth will get you infinite, infinite props and connection with the sales team. Yeah. And, you know, a, a hundred episodes ago, we talked about that alignment. So here's, yeah, here's, here's even better alignment right here. Here's, here's one tidbit there. Um, if you're asking anybody to do something that you wouldn't do yourself, mm -hmm. that's a problem. 
And I think that goes when marketers assign salespeople to work boots at the conference, you need to do that as well. And you don't have to be awesome. Uh, like, uh, so I'm, uh, what, a hundred and some odd days in at, at DNS filter. I'm certainly not, you know, uh, all powerful, all knowing, all knowledgeable there. Uh, and so I was working the booth, you know, I spent several hours working the booth at a, at a conference a, a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, I asked, I, I asked our product and, uh, SE teams like, you know, grade me and everybody's like, oh, well, it was like, I, I give you like a 70%. And, it, and to me, first of all, I will take a 70%. <laughs> Absolutely. But I think being open to have that conversation, you know, I got to learn, you know, what I was doing wrong. And then also the same thing for the team that I had there, everybody in marketing that I brought to the conference, all of us worked the booth. And it's just a, a great opportunity to, to learn what prospects are saying directly. And equally, it gives you that face time and not just with the executives, but you're also getting that with, with sales, with product, with anybody that's at, the, at that conference. And that is super valuable. You know, I, I, I can't even put like, there's no tangible value I can put directly on it. Uh, but I think at some point as we keep doing this remote first mm -hmm. thing, we'll find a KPI, we'll find some tangible way to measure the ROI of that. But for right now, when we don't have that, the gut feeling and the, the level of confidence boost and collaboration that you have after events like that, uh, it might cost you an additional $10,000. And but, however you budget come that- Come on, right? Yeah. Maybe you have part of your budget dedicated specifically to your demand gen and the ROI that you're going to get specifically from the show. And you have a separate budget that's more of like a people team or departmental training budget that you attach to every major conference and spend that money to bring people there. Uh, you know, I, that way you can remove that from your ROI of the event, like the direct ROI analysis, but you're able to take advantage of it because I mean, I don't know that I'd say it's equally important. Uh, if you if you don't bring business from the show, you're never going to do another show. Uh, but it is really critically important. Any company that is is either remote first now or looking to be that, take advantage of those opportunities. You've got folks from multiple levels of the organization and multiple functions all in the same place. So if it's going to cost you another $5,000 or $10,000 to send uh, two to three extra people that you think would be valuable for, do it every time. Absolutely every time because the value you're going to get in the long term is incredible. Absolutely yeah. incredible. Well, Mark, you guys sound like you're absolutely killing it, man. I appreciate you coming on and sharing You know what's been going on right now in your world. Um, major, major takeaways for people listening to this, which is incredible. Um, and you know, I think I forgot to mention, like you're the VP of marketing at DNS filter. I think I forgot to say that in the intro because the phone rang. Um, so now people know that, but give us like the 30 second rundown to close us out here. What do you guys do at DNS filter and, uh, send us out? Sure. Sure. So, uh, yeah, shockingly, uh, at DNS filter, we help filter DNS, uh, which is like the, no kidding. Uh, it's like the phone book for the internet, uh, for those who uh, aren't as technically inclined. Uh, and it's basically a, a potentially vulnerable layer uh, that we help companies uh, protect and secure. Uh, we also help them to define what people can or cannot access on the internet. 
you know, so whether, you know, what types of sites they can go to, where they can spend their time, things like that on it, uh, employer issued devices. Mm -hmm. Uh, we do that as well. Uh, and then things like public Wi-Fi, making sure that that's protected and the sites people are going to our, you know, our safe sites and they're not yeah. going to, you know, infect the organization. Uh, so that's, that, that's what we do. I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled to, uh, to be the SVP of marketing there. I, I, I lead up uh, our marketing efforts and we just have a phenomenal team. You know, it's a team of people from across the globe, literally <laughs> across the globe, uh, who all just have incredible passion and enthusiasm. And it's the type of thing that you don't get if you're not remote first, because you're never going to be able to hire talent all across the world like that and just learn. Uh, everybody on my team, uh, you know, it, it, it definitely bounces around, but there is not a single day that goes by that at least one member of my team hasn't inspired me. Uh, and oftentimes, oftentimes it's not specific to, it's not specific to work even. Uh, and so I, I think having that opportunity, being able to build those relationships across the globe, I think is, is such a huge benefit of this remote work thing. And I know people are getting some takeaways, but please understand, nobody knows everything about this. I am not an expert. I am learning along the way, just like all of you. Uh, mm -hmm. If you have any tips, please find me on LinkedIn and hit me up. I'm, I'm all for it. I'm all ears. Uh, it is my hope that if enough of us are doing this and are focused on it and trying to drive positive growth with remote first companies, that in five years, we'll have this figured out and, and in such a way that nobody would choose to do anything else. And, and that's the goal. I'd love for every company that can do it, that doesn't require somebody to be in an office specifically mm -hmm. to do anything, to be remote first. And I think we're heading that direction. But listening to this podcast, who's stoked about the future, it's on all of us to make sure that A, we're doing it, but B, we need to document both our successes and our failures. We need to put it out there on LinkedIn. We need to share that because we're all learning at the same time. And if we don't do that, uh, we're never going to get to that promised land. You're absolutely right, Mark. Well, Mark, thank you so much, man. This is good having you back for the reunion tour. I think this was even better than round one for sure. I got a lot out of it and uh, I appreciate it, man. This was a pleasure having you on. It was fun. Thanks for having me. I'll come back in another hundred episodes or so. We'll do the, <laughs> we'll do the three P. Hey, there we go, man. Absolutely. Absolutely.